Well, good evening. Uh, you all know me. I'm Kevin Stembridge. I'm the music director here, and Pastor has given me the opportunity to share about the music ministry, but also to um, just to take a couple moments to look at God's music and what we should be doing as a church um, to honor him with uh, the blessing of music. And the first thing I'm going to do tonight, I'm actually going to do it differently than I did last time. Last time I actually started with the message and ended with this little intro of music in our program, but I'm actually going to flip it on its head this year, and we're going to take a look at some opportunities for you to get involved in the music ministry. There we go. All right, so some ways for you to get involved. Number one, we would have the choir. All right, so that's going to be our biggest ministry that you see. The biggest part of our ministry is our choir. And um, as you can see, we are pretty full up there, but we still have room. So if you are wanting to get involved with choir, uh, know some things beforehand. You do not need to know how to read music. This is not a choir where you have to pass a sight reading test and you have to, to sing a, a piece of music by yourself. Uh, it's not anything like that. Um, you come up there, you sing with us, you are surrounded by people who know their part on songs we've sung for a long time, and you just kind of pick up that part. Now, if you do know how to read music, that's an extra bonus for you. It becomes easier to learn the music more quickly. But even for these cantatas, we do not spend time saying this note is A, and this note is B, and this note is G. All right, we don't spend time doing that. We learn our parts, uh, we rehearse them. Um, separately and then again together and it's just uh, it's a good time of using our voices to to sing together but if you're interested in joining the choir talk to me and then we'll uh, we'll get you set up um, with a folder and we'll have you come and join we'll get you with our list of requirements we do have a dress code for choir um, and things like that if you need to know more about that you can see me and I'll give you more information but if you've sat there and thought I used to sing in the choir or maybe at a different church before you came here I used to sing in the choir why not come back up and, uh, and join and get started in that again? And we've had several people doing that, and I appreciate that. But the choir is going to be our biggest uh, ministry. Uh, I won't tell you exactly what time choir practice starts because it fluctuates a lot, given on what we're working on. If it's a cantata, it could be 4.30, it could be 4 o'clock. Uh, but usually, right now, we're going about 4.30 or 5 o'clock. So uh, that's why I announce it every Sunday. So not only do we have the choir, I'm a little bit too fast there. There we go. We have orchestra and instrumentals, all right? As you see, we have uh, two sides over here with our orchestra. If you have played an instrument at some time in your life and you thought, hmm, now would be a great time to dust it off, to get it back out, maybe you played a trumpet, maybe you played a clarinet, maybe you played an oboe or a flute, uh, whatever it is that you may have played, this is the perfect opportunity for you to get it out and start trying again. You may say, I don't know if I could, if I could play the same way as I did back in high school in marching band or uh, in college or something like that, um, but you know, you'd be surprised, it's like riding a bike. You, you figure it out, you play around for it, with it for a little bit, and soon you're on your way uh, to playing these hymns. And that's what we do. We play hymns with the congregation. We, um, we occasionally, I like to, well, I would like to have offertories done by the orchestra. So uh, we have some faithful members up here who are up here just about every week, but there's plenty of room for more people. So if you play an instrument, dust it off, bring it in, and let's uh, start doing that. We do not have a regular time that we meet. Just come and, uh, and enjoy uh, serving the Lord with your instrument, all right? Uh, we would love to see that up here. The next thing is special music, all right? Special music is a, is a big need in a church. It helps point the way towards, uh, towards the sermon, and really all the music does, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that special music is right before the message, and it kind of directs our view towards what's going to be spoken about. Uh, it gets our hearts ready for that sermon. Uh, that we're going to hear from whoever may be speaking. Special music, uh, we do ask this, though. If you are planning to sing special music, also plan to sing in the choir. Um, our philosophy being that if your voice is good enough to be sung in a solo, it's definitely good enough to be sung in choir. So please make sure that, uh, that if you're wanting to join up with special music that you first consider joining the choir. Um, and we do have a need for special music on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday evenings. And then when we have revival time, uh, we're looking for that as well. Special music doesn't have to just be a solo. You just saw tonight. Um, we had a lot of groups ranging from a small group to a large group full of people all across the stage. A couple weeks ago, we had the entire challengers class up here on the stage. Uh, I love seeing that. So if you have something ready, you want to get a group together, let me know. Let me know what you're going to sing, and uh, we're glad to have that. But we want to see more of these groups being formed. I love to see people harmonize together and to enjoy singing God's music together in God's house. So um, let's see more of that over the next uh, couple weeks. Next, uh, we see the children's 
I'll get it. The children's choir and the teen choir. If you have children that are between the ages of three and then about fifth grade age, so 10, 11, um, that's the perfect opportunity for them to begin learning to sing in a choir. Um, and eventually we want to see them graduating up to adult choir and the teen choir and all of that. Uh, but it starts out with the children's choir. Some of my uh, moments where I enjoyed singing as a child began in a church children's choir and going to those practices every week, singing those songs and just feeling uh, like we were a special part of the service. Uh, I just really enjoyed it. And it's an opportunity for our children to get involved in serving the Lord through music as well. Teen choir, we want to get that up and running again. And uh, the teens, uh, surprisingly, they, uh, they learn these songs really quickly. They learn them well, and they come up here. You all have seen them many times where they're up here singing. And that's a great, a great way to start uh, their ministry of music for the Lord is in a teen choir. And so we want to see that happening too. So teens, get involved when we have that opportunity. And next... We'll just leave it this time. So piano and offertories. Uh, piano and offertories. If you play the piano, uh, we can use you. Uh, we do have uh, several people here who play the piano for us, also the keyboard and then the organ. Uh, but there may be a week where I get a, a message and I say, uh, I'm not feeling well or I had to go out of town, whatever it may be. Um, and that person is not able to play the piano. So we have to call in other people to play the piano for us. Um, and so we need people who are ready to play at a moment's notice if I have to say, uh, all four of our piano players are out sick. They all, uh, they all caught a stomach bug. Uh, they all went and ate at the same restaurant. They all got sick. And uh, now I need a pianist for today. Um, be ready for me to call on you. If, you. if you play the piano, if you can play hymns, if you can play special music, uh, whatever it may be, but uh, get back involved in that. Um, offertories, that goes for if you play an instrument like the flute tonight or if you play the piano and you'd like to play an offertory. Uh, please let me know, let me hear a little bit of it, and I will be glad to have you play that. Uh, we need to get back to having some offertories played um, up here and, and doing different things and giving other people an opportunity to get involved. And last of all, congregational singing. Now, this is a big deal. Uh, many of you out there, maybe uh, you say, I just, I don't sing, all right? I don't sing solos, I don't sing in a choir, I just don't sing. God didn't give me a singing voice. Well, God does tell us to make a joyful noise, all right? Uh, it doesn't have to be the most beautiful sound we've ever heard, but we should at least try and open our mouths and sing uh, before the Lord. It helps prepare our, hurt, our hearts per, uh, personally for the message. Um, and we're going to talk about that idea of, of message and song. We're going to look at uh, some uh, a hymn a little bit later tonight, and we're going to all look at it together and realize that it's more than just a song we've heard over and over and over again. I think too often in congregational singing, we get used to singing these songs that we've sung for years and years and years, and they start to not mean anything to us other than just, oh, I like that song. This is one of my favorites, or that's one of my favorites. And that's good, but what does it mean to you, and what do these words mean, and why are we singing them here in a, in a congregation before the Lord? It's to prepare our hearts uh, to worship the Lord. Um, so make sure that as a congregation, you are taking opportunity of your part here in our music service and you're singing. All right, grab a hymn book. We have plenty of them in front of you. Grab one, open it up, follow along the best you can. And I promise you, if my grandfather, who could not carry a tune in a bucket, uh, could sing and love to sing uh, songs like Jesus Loves Me or I Surrender All or Amazing Grace, you'd hear his lapel mic that would get left on sometimes during the invitation, and you'd hear him up there kind of doing his little caterwalting into his microphone. You know what? No one ever said, Preacher, don't sing. Don't, that's terrible. Don't sing. Uh, we knew that he, he loved what he was singing about, and we knew that uh, he believed in what he was singing about, whether he was the greatest singer up there or the not greatest singer. So uh, he was making a joyful noise, and it honored the Lord. All right. Before I get started, I want to take you back to last year, or not last year, the last time I did this. I don't remember how long ago that was. But when I was here, I talked to you about um, some things from my, uh, my high school years and some chapel services that I went to, uh, where I quickly began to see the unraveling of church music worship. Uh, and it was a sad thing to see. Uh, if I was to mention the name of the school, many of you would, would uh, be familiar with it, um, and you'd, you'd probably be in shock that we were sitting through some things like this. Um, fortunately, uh, my parents saw what was happening, and I let them know what was happening, and I was able to leave that school and go graduate from a much more uh, God-honoring school, uh, doctrinally right school, and I, I thank them for that. I, I thank the Lord for that. Um, but I want to take you back to those days, and I want to show you 
just what we were experiencing. All right, now, let me say up front, <laughs> this is not something I am promoting. This is not something you will ever see happening here at Central Baptist Church. But I do want you to be aware of what is out there. Too often we hear things said about what, what churches are like today. It's a, it's a rock concert. It's a, there's lights and, and smoke and fog. And sometimes we hear that, but some of you may have never seen it, and you need to thank the Lord that you haven't. Um, I've been there. I've sat through some of these things um, against my will. I'll say that. I did not go to these voluntarily. They were just part of chapel. We'd show up, and there would be a concert going on, and I'd see the, the drums and the guitars up there, and I'd go, oh, no. Uh, and if I ever caught wind of it, I actually, I think I told this story last time, I remember calling my mom one day and asking her to come pick me up during chapel because I, I caught wind of another rock concert that was going to happen, and I said, I don't want this. Uh, I don't want to sit through another one. And I asked my mom to come get me and bring me back to school once chapel was done, and she did. Uh, so I was thankful for that because it was uh, I missed one that I probably wouldn't have wanted to be at. But uh, I want you to be aware of what the world is looking at today as worship. What is their standard of worship that we're seeing that's drawing all these people away? And I hope that this makes you uncomfortable. All right, I, that's my my goal is to let these these two clips I'm going to show you. They should make you feel uncomfortable. Um, because it's not Christ-honoring. This is not what God is looking for. Um, and you'll see some things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do here. But I've chosen these two songs because they were back-to-back -back in one of these chapel services that we were at during my teenage years. And I just want you to see the nature of just the hypocrisy that's inside of this music. Um, the, the words clearly contrasting with what's going on um, on that stage. So uh, you will be shocked, I promise. Um, but especially with the second one. So here we go. We're going to look at some of these at what, what worshiping God looks like today in these modern churches. The first one, I want you to look at this. This is a song called The Heart of Worship. And the lyrics tell us over and over and over again, as many of these songs do, that it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It says, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. But I want you to notice the mannerisms, the performance uh, of what's going on here, and you decide, is it really about God? We're only going to look at a couple of, of minutes of this footage, but, um, but bear with me.
you to notice that is considered worshiping the Lord. Um, you'll notice, I, I mentioned there, the guitar uh, was there at the beginning, but the next thing we know, there's those drums. They take over, the beat starts to dominate everything that's happening, the moving, the swaying of the people. You notice this motion. This is a very popular uh, contemporary thing to open your arms like this, to look like you're letting the Holy Spirit in. Um, he's not there. Uh, he's not there. This is not Christ-honoring music. But this is what is in many churches today. Many, um, many schools, many churches have this type of an idea of worship. And I want you to think about that. Now, I left out uh, a part there towards the end for time's sake, but it gets to a part about three minutes in uh, where the lyrics repeat over and over again. In fact, it repeats the same lyrics from three minutes and ten seconds until five minutes and six seconds. Um, and it is literally just this. It says, um, I just want you and nothing else and nothing else and nothing else matters uh, is, is what's happening here. Um, and it just says it over and over again. I just want you and nothing else. I just want you and nothing else. I just want you and nothing else. Let's think about that for a minute. If we just want Jesus but nothing else, do we want his word? No. Do we want his standards? No. Do we want his commandments? No. Do we want his, uh, his dress, his, uh, his preaching, his, um, just the things that he's given to us, his holiness? None of that matters if we're just saying, I just want you. Do we really know him if we don't want any of those other things? None of it matters. Um, and so the thing is, sitting there that day in chapel, my mind started to, to think a little bit. And there in my teenage years, I thought, this is so wrong just sitting there thinking, it's all about you, Jesus, and yet the way we're singing, we're singing like it's a concert. We're singing like we're singing to fans, not like we're singing for the Lord. Um, and, uh, and I purposely left off the ending there just because it does get to an escalated thing. They've got the lights going. There's fog that rolls across, but that's not what God has required, and that's not what God expects for worship. The next video, this one will truly shock you, and I almost want to apologize for it, uh, but I have to tell you, this was the second song we sang in chapel that day. Yes, it sounded just like this, and yes, they did do these motions that you're going to see. I think we got ahead of it. I going the wrong way? All right, here we go. All right, well, we'll just skip that one for now, but I want you to let it let you know what you are going to see, all right? As if you heard the very first strum there, you're going to hear an extremely heavy rock beat at the beginning strummed on a guitar. You're going to hear drum come in, and then you're going to see these, uh, these teenagers um, jumping up and down, okay? Yes, jumping up and down, and that really did happen that day in that chapel service. Um, and uh, the, the lyrics of this song began with, na 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 as they jump up and down. Oh, it's All right, and that's enough of that one. But I know you're relieved. I hope it makes you uncomfortable, and it should. That's accepted as worship today in our churches. That's accepted as uh, that would probably be a popular thing you would see in junior church. Um, and, uh, and like I said, in, um, in our Christian school there, that was in our chapel, we did see kids jumping up and down. They knew this video. They knew the, the, the moves there with it, all right? Um, it was uncomfortable. When you know what God's music should be and what it should sound like, it's uncomfortable, and it should make you uncomfortable. 
Um, but I just want you to see and be exposed to that's what the world is calling worship today. Jumping up and down, singing songs that I don't really know the purpose of them. Um, and if you keep going, it gets more and more ridiculous as you go. The words just, they don't make sense. Um, they don't flow at all. It's just noise. It's really just noise and a bunch of jumping around. Now, that is not a heart of worship, and that is not what God has required. Um, that is not, that's the thing that they have made it, and yet they're saying it's all about you. It's not. Um, it's about us. It's about having a good time, jumping around, moving to the beat. You saw in the first video there, an emotional response to music. Uh, that's what it is. A lot of people just get caught up in the emotion of it, and they say, man, that really spoke to me. But they don't even know what it was about. They were too busy jumping around, or they were too busy jiving around to the beat of the music, or opening their arms to let in the Holy Spirit. These things, um, to be honest, as a teenager, I got really angry um, at this. Just the fact that this was being passed on as worship. And I saw even some of my friends diving into this head first. Man, this is great. This is so good. Um, and I had a friend that would sometimes come and visit my church, and he'd be like, this is so boring. We'd be singing hymns, and he'd say, like, when are they going to bring out, like, the worship team? I'm like, we don't have a worship team. We, you don't need a worship team. We are worshiping God together. That's what the hymns are for. Um, and he just didn't understand, sadly. And uh, we still are on a disagreement about that today. We're still friends, but this, uh, this disagreement of worshiping the Lord has always been there, and it will be, um, because I'm not going to give in to this. And uh, I hope you know that will never be here as long as I'm the music director. I will not allow this. It's not approved. Don't try and sing any of these songs. I'm not going to let you. So, uh, but I also want you to know why. Uh, it just, it's, it's wrong. But what is God looking for in our music? If it's not that, what is he looking for? Let's look at three things that God is looking for in our music. God is, first of all, looking for music with melody. All right, now, melody is defined as a sequence of single notes that is musically satisfying. If you listen to the second song we chose tonight, uh, that we sang tonight, um, He Keeps Me Singing. It says, there's within my heart a melody, all right? Um, meaning that's what we remember from the song. It's the tune that gets stuck in our head. Whenever there's a hymn or a song that pops into your head, um, Brother Milan, maybe it's short and Brad, I don't know, but whenever you have a, a tune that gets stuck in your head, that melody is what you're hearing, all right? It's the thing that, that, we, uh, that we remember, that we take away from a song. But, you know, how strange would it be if instead of singing, there's within my heart a melody, instead we sang, there's within my heart a real nice beat, Jesus is playing drums. Okay, that's not what it says, uh, and it should never be that, but we're, we're trying to make it that. Um, so many times, uh, people that I know that have, that have accepted this new music, it's just, man, I really love this beat. It's got such a sick beat, all right? Sorry for the new terminology, but that's what they say, all right? This has a great beat. I really like this, this song. And I'm like, why do you like it if it's only about the beat? It's about banging your feet or tapping your feet or banging your head. That's not what music is about. It's about the melody, and that should be a sequence of notes, not beats, that is musically satisfying. Um, the next thing I want you to see about this is that... Um, it should be clear and have a definite beginning and a definite end. Um, many of these songs, like I was playing for you, they don't really have an end. They start somehow, and then they just kind of trail off. And you sit there wondering, did it end? Did I miss it? Or did, did they cut the sound off? What happened? Uh, because it wanders off at the end. Uh, it needs to come back to what we would call um, the home key or the, the tonic note in, mu in music theory. That's what we would call it. But it's the, the thing that makes our ear feel satisfied, that we are done. The plane has landed. It's not still somewhere circling the airport waiting to land. You're done with the song. Um, it needs to have a definite start and a definite end. Also, it should be more important than the harmony and the beat. All right. Now, we'll talk about beat in just a minute. There is beat in all music. We'll talk about that. Uh, but first of all, I want to talk about this idea of it being more important than harmony and the beat. Harmony would be any type of music that goes with the melody. It, it helps the melody. It embellishes the melody. But it's not to take the place of the melody. So if you're in a choir, we sing four-part harmony. We have our sopranos, our altos, basses, and tenors. All four of those parts work together to, uh, to make a whole, to make a, a good, rounded-out sound. But if we only chose one of those parts, we would choose the melody, which would be what the sopranos sing. So um, that's going to be the main part. This is a biblical concept of the fact that melody should be first. In Psalm 68, verse 25, it says, The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after, and among them were the damsels playing with timbrels. Timbrels would be like cymbals or tambourines. Those are percussion instruments that give beat. Now, um, it says the singers went first. 
then the instruments went after. Instruments play harmony, that's what they do. They give up back up to, that, uh, to the melody there that's being played or being sung. So the singers first, then the instruments, that would be the harmony, and then the timbrels. Yes, there is beat in music, and, uh, and it's not uh, inherently wicked, okay? It's not an awful thing that music has beat. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but that's the order there. It should be melody first. So God is looking for music with melody, things that get stuck in our head that are satisfying musically, that have a beginning and an end, and that, um, that should be more important than the beat or the harmony. It should be about what we're hearing there. All right, next, God is looking for music with meter. All right, here's where we talk about beat a little bit. When I'm talking about meter, I'm talking about rhythmic pattern constituted by the grouping of basic temporal units or time units called beats into regular measures or bars. If you were to open your hymnal in front of you, every single song would start with something that looks like that. All right, so all music has a natural beat. You'll see things like four over four, three over four, six over eight, nine over eight, 12 over eight, six over four. You'll see a lot of different things that are called time signatures. Music, if it was just left by itself, would be a mess. Um, it's got a meter to it to measure things out. Um, God has told us in his word um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, and, and then verse 40, that God is not the author of confusion, um, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And verse 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. God's not a fan of chaos. Um, he's not a fan of things that are not well organized and put together and have a definite beginning and a definite end. Um, that's just not who he is. And he's given us a natural beat within music. For example, four over four, that means there are four beats per measure. Now, the bottom number means that a quarter note gets the beat. If you know what that means, good. If not, it's okay. But that, that top number should let us know how many beats are going to be in each measure. We can all understand that. For example, if we were to sing the song, Are You Washed in the Blood? Would you be free from your passion and pride? You can see one, two, three, four. There are four beats there. It's not evil. It's not wicked. It is the beat of the music. It's how we sing the song. Uh, you notice that I'm going down first which is what we call our downbeat, okay? Uh, that's the most important beat in a measure, if you're doing it correctly, all right? Uh, we're going to talk about downbeat versus offbeat in just a little bit. But if we were to sing a song like the solid rock, that's in what we call 3-4. There are three beats per measure. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. That would be one, two, three, one, two, three. Uh, it's not evil. That is the beat that is in that song. It's the meter there. If we were to sing a song like Showers of Blessing, that's what we call six over eight time. There shall be showers of blessing. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. It is not evil. It's the beat of the song. It's naturally there. Um, and it's okay to sing music that has beat because all music has beat. Now, so when does it become a problem? We hear this term beat-driven music so often. What does that mean? We're going to talk about the downbeat. Too many. All right, we're going to talk about downbeat versus offbeat. So the downbeat is beat one, and then there's another one that's technically called beat three. So if we were to look at it, it would be one, two, three, four. If you were to march, those of you that were in military, when you did marching drills, you did left, right, left, right, one, two, three, four, all right? You were not stomping your feet so that it was one, two, three, four, one, Two, it didn't work like that, all right? If it did, you'd probably be off and you'd probably be in trouble. So uh, you got to stay with the group. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. When we're doing these songs, back to Washing the Blood, would you be free from your burden of sin? It's emphasized naturally in the syllables of the music. Um, and if you, if you weren't to have that, uh, it would be very, very awkward. Um, it would not flow very well at all. So this meter should be based on our downbeat. Now, here's where we get this beat-driven music, is when we focus on the offbeat. That's technically beat two and beat four, all right? So, for example, in that song uh, with, uh, with the heart of worship, all right, they're focusing on beats two and four. I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all on these offbeats. All right, so what happens with an offbeat? Well, instead of going one, two, three, four, we're instead going one, two, 
three, four, all right? If you notice, that's where we get our rock beat. Any type of rock and roll music throughout history, you, you have that, down, that offbeat driven music, all right? Uh, typically, they'll do something like one and two and three and four, and, and that's where people go, oh, I like that beat. I want to go run some laps. I want to go uh, do, do a marathon. I want to go do something, uh, or I want to go uh, tap my foot to it, or beat my head to it, or these things that you see happening. It's called beat-driven music, and it's when we focus on the offbeat, which is not what God designed for us to have as the main beat of our music. It should be the downbeat, uh, which is where we have organization. The offbeat gives a sense of chaos. It gives a sense of um, unsettledness. It gives the sense of wildness. When you when you hear about Joshua and Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. Um, and Joshua says, Moses, I think I hear the sound of war in the camp. He hears these drums beating. He says, I, th I think they're fighting. And Moses says, no, they're actually, they're, they're, that's the sound of, of worship. And, uh, or their worship, right? And he, he lets them know, no, they're doing something they, they should not be doing. All right, when he, uh, when he comes off the mountain, Moses is so uh, uh, angry at what they've done that we know he ground up the golden calf and made them drink it, all right? Um, as he had a right to do. But I guarantee you the sound they were hearing was offbeat music, driven by an offbeat. It's the one that, that riles us up, that gets us to do these crazy things. You've heard Pastor talk about um, in the past. There were people that would sacrifice babies to pagan gods. How did they get to the point where they were ready to do something like that, to sacrifice their own child? The beat-driven music, the pounding of the drums on an offbeat type of setting. Um, and, uh, and so it was that beat, that offbeat that made uh, people get crazy enough to do things like that. It's beat driven. It makes us, it, it gets in touch with our body and with our physical side and makes us want to tap our toe a little bit, uh, bob our head a little bit, maybe, maybe lean back and forth or sway a little bit. It's the driven, uh, beat driven music from the offbeat. There's nothing wrong with downbeat. That's what God intends for us to use. Um, drums, you hear all the time people talking about drums. All right, um, what you saw there, that's a trap set. That's where we've got the person pushing the pedal, uh, beating against the bass drum to pound out that rhythm, the, the, uh, the beat-driven music there, starting literally beat-driven by a pedal. Uh, then you see them hitting other drums and things like that to bring in other offbeat-driven music. However, not all drums are necessarily wicked and of the devil, all right? Um, concert snares are used for things like patriotic music. Whenever you've heard a stirring rendition of the Star Spangled Banner, it usually starts with a drum roll. That drum roll is done on what we call a concert snare. There's nothing wicked about that instrument. It's used to start a march. It's used to start something that would stir us to feel moved to something. Um, you hear a song about maybe standing up for Jesus. You might hear a drum roll at it. You might hear just a very basic downbeat snare part in there um, that is not uh, wicked or wrong in any way. It is serving a purpose to make us feel like we're marching on to something. It is not to make us tap our feet, and you'll notice you won't actually tap your foot if you hear concert snare. If you hear timpani, the big kettle drums, those are actually pitched drums. They can actually play a, a bass part that goes along with what an orchestra is doing. There's nothing wrong with those when they're used um, the right way. Uh, they're chimes, a gong even, you know, these things that are invented, these percussion instruments are not wicked in themselves. It's how we use them and it's how they're played. Now, trap sets, you're asking for trouble with those because they are literally built to get you pumping that bass and then playing onto the other things. That's why you don't want to see those involved in, in God's house. Those are not things that should be there. Um, let's, uh, let's quickly move on, though, to point number three. Music should have uh, melody, it should have meter, and it should have, and this is my most important uh, aspect here, is that it should have a message. God is looking for music with a message. The, the term message means a significant point or a central theme, um, and there's more to it about often being used in literature or art or music, okay? So some kind of an idea that that work is about, okay? Um, and here's the thing. We have to be careful here. Sometimes we get too focused on the message, and we excuse the other things. We say, well, I mean, I like the words of this song a whole lot, so I'll let that beat slide, or I'll let that, that, uh, that beat-driven stuff, I'll let it slide. But uh, we have to be careful to make sure, does this message agree with God doctrinally? All right, that song, that first song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you, Jesus, but I'm going to sing it like I'm singing to a million fans. I'm not going to sing it like I'm singing it to you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend, what was that, two, almost two minutes saying I don't want anything else but you, meaning I don't want your word. I don't want any of that stuff. I just want you. Um, the message is the most important part, and we've got to look at it. So first you need to look at um, 
the intention of the songwriter. What is the songwriter trying to say? You know, every one of the hymns in our hymnal has a message in it that someone wrote. It could have been years and years ago. It could have been just a few years ago. But they have a message with what they're doing. And that message is very, very important. Um, and we'll get into uh, a hymn here in a second that we're going to look at, uh, one of my personal favorites. And we're going to look at the message of that. Um, if, you, if you're in our choir, every song we sing, I break down the words. Before we even start learning the notes or the rhythm, we look at the words because I want the choir to know that we're not just up here singing a pretty song. We're not just up here to give a wow factor to the service. We're here to communicate a message that God has given us in music. Um, and so we break that down, and uh, we're going to break one down in a minute. You're going to get to experience a little bit of choir rehearsal in just a moment. But the next thing I want you to notice is that not only do they have something to say, we need to, to know what does that message mean to us. In college, um, my first vo vocal class that I had, uh, we had a great teacher in there, uh, Mr. Owens, and he, he had us sing out of a hymn book. That was what we did. We used a hymn very similar to this one, actually, um, and we would sing out of it. We would choose a hymn, and we would sing a hymn, and he would uh, help us to refine our voices and teach us all this technique stuff. But, you know, my first hymn that I chose, actually, was Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. That's why I chose that one this evening. Um, and I thought, I know this song well. I like it. It's a pretty song. It's got some nice words to it. I'll, I'll choose that one. So I got done singing on the very first time, and I thought, this is going to be good. I did pretty good. I remembered all the words. Um, I, I did all my breathing the way he told me to do it. I think I'm going to do really well. So I'm, I'm ready to answer any question he has except for the question he asked me, which was, why did you choose this hymn? And I said, well, I like this song. He said, well, why do you like it? I said, be, you know, it's, it's nice. It's pretty. It's got, it's got a nice melody to it. Uh, I, I like the words to it. It's very encouraging, telling us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. He says, what, is it, what does it mean to you? Why would you pick it? You know, what does it mean to you personally? And I, I said, I don't know, turn my eyes upon Jesus when I'm having a rough day, look at, look at, get my eyes on God and get him off my situation. Said, that's, that's good. He's like, but I didn't see any of that when you were singing. He said, uh, I, didn't, I didn't pick up on any of that. He said, why don't you try singing it again? And this time I want you to think about what you're singing. And I'm just, you know, kind of struck by that. Oh, man, I thought I did a good job. And he he's telling me he didn't, he didn't get anything out of what I just did. Wow, okay. So I tried singing it again, and he said, you're still not, you're still not showing it to me. So he made me write out the words, and I had, to, I had to rethink through the words of that hymn and apply them to a situation in my life. It could be past, present, or maybe even future, something I might go through down the road. Uh, that was what he would have us do, uh, practicing learning the message of these songs. That day in music class changed my whole vision of music with what it means when you're doing a music ministry. Uh, if you don't have a message and it doesn't mean anything to you, it's not going to mean anything to the people hearing it. That's our last point on this section is this idea of what will it mean to those that are hearing you. I tell the choir this all the time. If we don't show a message when we're singing, no one out there is going to care about what we sing. These cantatas are beautiful. The music that comes with them is great. But if we don't show it what it means to us, if we don't show a clear understanding of what we're singing about, none of them are going to care. No one's going to care. Those listening by, by way of radio, those listening or watching by the live stream, they're going to watch it and they're say, that was a really nice cantata. And then two days later, they're going to not remember anything that they saw. Nothing's going to stick with them if we don't show it in what we're doing. Um, first, Second Chronicles, excuse me, Second Chronicles uh, 29 through 25. If you don't mind turning there real quickly with me, we're going to turn to a couple verses now at this time, but Second Chronicles uh, 29. Second Chronicles 29, and let's start in verse 25, and we're going to read down to verse 30. So Second Chronicles 29, and uh, let's look at verse 25. It says this, And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king... The king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is literally describing a worship service 
um, that's taking place there in the temple. And the amazing part is they're talking about instruments, they're talking about singing, they're talking about what was sung. And I want you to look at verse 30. It says, they, they were to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. Do those names sound familiar to us? They're from what major book? The book of Psalms, which is a book of poetry, a book of music. It literally says, a psalm of David sent to the chief musicians, all right? And so I want you to know these psalms that David wrote have messages to them. We can all attest to that. If you've ever had a, a rough moment that you're going through, you start reading through, through some of the psalms, and they're the most uplifting, encouraging things you're going to read. They have a message to them, and at one point they had music to them. I, I hope someday in heaven we're able to hear what they came up with for these songs. If they were songs written to musicians, they were played on instruments or sung or something like that. I wonder what it must have sounded like at that time. But right now, we have them to read. Um, and I'm, I actually want us to read through one real quickly. If you will, turn with me to Psalm 40, not too far away. Psalm 40, we're going to read through one of these psalms. And I want you to think about the words of what's being said in this psalm. It's beautiful. Psalm 40, Psalm 40. And if you notice, it says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. David wrote this, intended to have music behind it. It says this in verse number one, Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. That's a lot that can happen just because of a new song that God gives us in our mouth. Many shall see it, they shall fear, meaning they shall fear God. They shall trust in the Lord. Um, that's a, a lot happening just from a song that he's given to us in our heart. Number four, blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of this book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy laws within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Think about that. Innumerable evils have compassed me about. My iniquities, my sins have taken hold upon me, so I can't even look up. Uh, that's that's uh, very, very profound. Verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. That last section, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. He thinks upon everyone that is his child, no matter what our station in life is, we're his. Um, these words, 17 verses there, and they mean so much. Think about the times we're in right now, how much these words mean to us as Christians that are clinging on to the promises of God each and every day as we watch our nation tear itself apart, as we watch our world tear itself apart because of a lack of love for God and his word. Um, and that's happening in our churches, too. And it starts with music like what you just saw, where we get comfortable sitting there listening to stuff like that. Folks, if that sounds, if you felt comfortable watching that, be careful, all right? Be careful. Um, that's not what pleases God. It should make us feel uncomfortable. This is what he's looking for, something with a message here. Not jumping up and down, not beating our fists into the air, not holding our hands out and swaying to a sensual song. That's not what he's looking for. Um, he's looking for these kinds of messages. If you would, I would like for you to take out your hymnals, please, and go to page 494. Are we going to sing? Yes, but not yet. 
Right now, I want you all to, to experience a little bit of what you would experience if you were in choir. And choir members have already been warned this was coming. They know that this happens. But go to, to page 494 with me real quickly. And we are going to take uh, a new look at a familiar hymn, or a fresh look at a familiar hymn. 494, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. All right, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, my pianist to come up to the piano and get this one ready to play. Not just yet, but we will in just a moment. I want to look at these words here real quickly. Four verses here. And uh, this, if people ask me what my favorite hymn is, this is one of my first ones that I'll tell them. Uh, partly because of when I was younger, I remember hearing this sung during invitations and seeing God move and work in people's lives. And uh, that was amazing to me, um, just seeing these people go forward. And, you know, as, as a young kid, I didn't know why people went forward and prayed exactly. You don't always know that. You just see people do it when you're, you know, three and four. Um, but we're watching, I was watching these people go forward, and I thought, this must be a really good song, the fact that so many people go up and pray when they hear it. Now, of course, a little tongue-in-cheek, of course, they're, they're praying because of what the pastor said in the message. But this music gets into our minds. It gets into our hearts, and it convicts us even further when we hear these words to go forward. Listen to these words. Don't just think about what it sounds like. Some of you are probably already humming it in your head. Look at the words with me. Verse 1. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Not mine. Not yours. His own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. You remember the verses in, um, in the Old Testament that talk about uh, God being the potter and how the thing that he is making on the pottery wheel there, uh, it, it's not going to look at the person making it and say, um, what, are you, what are you doing? I don't want to be this. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but uh, it's not going to look at God and say, you can't make me this, uh, or I want to be this instead. God is, God is the one in control. He's the potter. We're the clay. The clay doesn't get to choose what it's made into. Uh, God chooses. He's the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. Molding is probably not always the most painless process. All right, if you've ever seen someone uh, do pottery before, if you, uh, those of you who went to Pensacola, I know uh, you know Dr. Stelzer's uh, The Potter's House message. Uh, there was a Bible teacher on our faculty. He would do a, a pottery work in front of us, and he would read through a passage in Jeremiah about going down to the potter's house. And um, we saw this, um, this message, and I remember I saw it several years in a row, but it never really got into my thick brain until the last year what I was seeing. Um, and he would talk about the fact that if a vessel was not fit for use, how God would destroy it and just break it. And it wouldn't be, you can't put it back together again um, and it'd be useful. Uh, it, may, it may kind of cheaply be put back together, but in those days they didn't have Gorilla Glue. Once you broke some pottery, it was broken. There was no putting it back. It was no longer fit for use and God got rid of it. Uh, the idea of when he was making it, the way that he moved it, all right, that clay, he'd have to splash water on it and, and move it and bend it and, and ply it away from, from different things. It's probably not the most painless process to be molded as clay, but that's what we are. And sometimes it takes those, those painful moments that God sends into our lives to mold us into what he wants us to be. Um, and that's what it's saying there in verse number one. It says, mold me and make me after thy will, not ours. We should not tell God like that vessel. Um, that we want to be something else. We shouldn't look at God and say, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be, a, I didn't want to be a, a, a construction worker. I didn't want to be a, uh, a banker. I wanted to do something else. No, God gave us something specifically to do, and it's our job to do it um, after his will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. The only way for God to use us is if we're yielded. We have to give up on our dreams and our plans and our ideas and let God move in and take control. All of that from verse 1. And yet sometimes during our, our invitation, if we sing this song, it's kind of like we're thinking, not instead of the message, but kind of like, okay, did I turn on the pot roast at home? Is the line for Sunny's going to be one hour today or two hours? Are we going to get there in time? Those ideas go through our head. Or maybe we don't, maybe we're not that bad. Maybe we think, hmm, uh, this is such a pretty song. I really like this song. And we have no idea what we're singing. Look at these words. Verse number two. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence, humbly I bow. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord, and we have to ask him to point out things that need to go in our life. We all have sin in our lives. We all need to ask the Lord to search us and to try our hearts and to know what's going on in our lives. Reveal sin, help us to get it out so that we can be whiter than snow. Um, <clears throat> like Pastor was talking about this morning, 
uh, we should not sin that grace may abound. All right, just as Paul mentioned, uh, we don't have a, a, a free account that we can keep sinning on and saying, well, I'm saved. I'll just chalk that on there and I'll pay it off later. No, we don't do that. Uh, we, should, we should ask God to help us to stay whiter than snow. Verse 3, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. There's things that come into our lives. We've all lost people. We've all seen the effects of the world and what's going on today. And it's easy for us to get discouraged as Christians. It's easy for us to look at what's going on and say, I just can't do it anymore. There's days where we look at, at situations and trials and we say, why is this in my life? I can't do this. I just can't. I, it's too much. Uh, Lord, just what is going on? I don't want to be here anymore. We have those ideas, but it's saying, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. He can help us through those moments. When we lose those that we love, when we see a, a world that's crumbling apart to sin, he can still give us the healing that we need, but we've got to pray and ask him for it. Uh, we can't just expect him to always do that. He wants to hear from us. Uh, he wants us to, to get to those points where we have to say, Lord, I'm too weak for this. You have to be my strength. If, if you don't believe that, read through the book of Psalms. So many times David is saying, Lord, you're my strength. You're my, my shield, my tower, uh, my defense. <clears throat> and last of all, verse number four, and this is personally one of the reasons why this is my most favorite hymn. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold or my being absolute sway. Absolute means complete. Uh, that, that the Lord has complete control over our life. It's not easy to say those words to the Lord. Please, please have complete control of my life. Um, we, we all, when we get out into the, the adult years, we think, hey, I don't have to go to school anymore. I don't have to do what my parents say. I'm out on my own. And yet we have to realize that God is the one that we, that we are accountable to, uh, that he's the one that's in control of us. And if we don't, we're going we're gonna to slip away from him. But it says, absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. Those words are so convicting to me personally, and they should be to all of us. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only, not us, they see only Christ when they look at our life. Always, every single day. Imagine that. That's convicting. Every single day, Christ living in me. Um, when I sing these words, uh, I can't help but have my heart stirred by them. Um, are we really doing that? Are we really singing this verse and as a prayer to the Lord? This isn't just words on a page, congregation. This is, this is us singing a prayer to the Lord. Lord, please fill with your spirit, fill me with your spirit till all shall see that Christ only always lives in me every single day. That's a lot. And it's in one hymn that's only three lines long, four times repeated. Um, in each of these hymns, we have over 700 hymns in this book, hymns and choruses. Every single one of them has a message, and we need to, we need to know what that message is. We need to know what it means to us, and what's it going to mean to those that hear us. It's not just for the choir. It's for the congregation as well. Even if you're not uh, singing during this, this time, uh, the Bible talks about singing in your heart and making melody to the Lord. Do you still have the hymnal open? Are you still looking at those words? Are you thinking about what they mean? Are you singing in your heart? Okay, I understand. Not everybody has a perfect singing voice. Not everybody has what they want to call a, 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 a something besides a joyful noise voice. But you know, I was talking earlier about my grandfather and the songs he would sing. Do you know why, why this is one of my favorite hymns? I told you about as a child hearing, hearing this hymn and seeing people go up and go forward and how sometimes his mic would be left on. And I will never forget hearing him singing those words, till all shall see. When he sang, he had this little tremor to his voice. Uh, I can't, I wish I could recreate it for you, but I can't. And it was not on the right notes at all. Uh, it was just this little kind of a mumble, a mumble sing. Uh, till all shall see, kind of like that. It, had, it didn't go with the music at all. And no one ever faulted him for it because he meant what he was singing. And, uh, and he, he knew um, Christ only always living in me was important to him. And uh, I've never forgotten that from the time that I was a kid. Every time I hear this song, I think of my grandfather up there. He, uh, and, you know, now that I'm an, an adult and I can think back on this, no, he didn't have a perfect singing voice, but he, he meant what he was singing. You can too. Uh, as a congregation, we should have a joy to pick up that hymn book. And if we can't sing out loud, we don't want to sing out loud, sing in your heart. Um, I've got the verse uh, down. I, I'm not going to take time. Well, I, I will. I'll show it to you real quick. But we've got um, some things here that I, I didn't have time necessarily to go through, and it's okay. 
but if, if you want to write these down, if you're taking notes, God's glory through the message of music, um, there's some instances in the Bible uh, where we saw what God did through music. Um, he relieved Saul of an evil spirit in 1 Samuel 16, 23, when David played on his harp. Uh, it led to a miraculous victory for the armies of Judah. That's one of my favorite stories about music being used by God. Literally, they went out to fight uh, against all these people that were against them, uh, the, the armies of Judah, and God had instructed them to put the singers first. So imagine marching to battle and you have an entire choir of people out in front of you, in front of your army, all right? The other armies are probably thinking, what are they doing? Why are they up there singing, you know, uh, the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. How are they going to attack us with that? Their archers and their, their, uh, their horsemen and all those things, the sword shields, they're all behind this choir. Are they sending us like a, a, a concert before they, they die or something like that? Um, imagine what they were thinking. But, you know, the Bible tells us in those verses that as they sang about the holiness of the Lord, that those armies turned upon themselves and the Lord sent ambushments against them. God destroyed those armies without, without Judah even having to lift a sword um, until it was over, and then they could go through and, and take the spoils. But um, it's a powerful story there. Second uh, Kings uh, 3, 15 through 24, it brought the hand of the Lord upon the prophet Elisha. He had a, a problem where he needed to figure out what to do, what to tell these people. And he said, you know what, bring me a minstrel. That's a singer. He said, bring me a minstrel, someone that, that plays the harp, that plays instruments that they sing. And all of a sudden, as soon as he heard that music, he said, this is what you need to do. Go and do this. This is what the Lord is going to have you do. I'm not going to go into the details of that story, but they, they did uh, end up having the victory that day. Uh, but this is the verse I want you to see. Oh, sorry. Well, it is in Ephesians 5, and I'm not sure if we can get back to it. If we can, it's okay. If not, that's all right. But it's in Ephesians 5, and it's a passage that talks about singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, we should be doing that, even as a congregation. You, you may never be in the choir, and that's okay. You may say, I don't, I don't want to be in the choir, uh, but I do want to, to honor the Lord with music. Um, you, congregation, you are a part of our music service, believe it or not. Uh, the, the people, when they are watching online, they can, they can see you. They can hear you. Uh, imagine how, how deadening it would be to the service if when the camera pans across, you're just kind of slumped there with your arms crossed. I don't sing. I don't do it. All right? Uh, that's okay. Sing in your heart. Make melody to the Lord. Take that hymn book. Open it up. Look at those words. These, wor these hymns are full of powerful messages that we need to, to hide in our heart. You know, uh, sometimes people who, who tell me they don't sing, they can whistle really well. All right? Uh, I've seen people going through the hallways uh, around property, and I, and I hear a whistle, and I go and I look just to see who it is, because, you know, I'm the music director. i got to be a little bit nosy about that every now and then. Uh, and I go and see, who's that whistling? It's a great job. And I look over, and I, and I notice, hey, that's the person who told me they don't sing or that, they, that they're uh, shy to, to sing in front of people. They're whistling. They've got a tune. It's actually on the right tune, and, uh, and they're whistling a hymn. They're whistling something like, Wonderful Grace of Jesus, or they're whistling something like, uh, Have Thy Known Way, Lord, or something like, something like this. Um, and I can tell that, it, that the Lord uses that to put a, a spring in their step to, to encourage their heart. And you know, that's what music ought to do. And I hope one thing that you'll take away from, from all of this, I know I've gone kind of long again, sorry, but uh, at least the air hasn't turned off yet like last time. But, um, but I do want you to realize that no matter what you invest into this music ministry, if you're, cho if you're uh, choosing to join the choir, if you're already thinking about how you could be in the choir or how you could be in the orchestra or how you could be involved with special music or children's choir or teen choir, something like that, if you're already contemplating that, that's wonderful. But if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know what to do. Take out a hymn book next Sunday morning, or Wednesday, those of you that are on, here on Wednesday nights, take out a hymn book and just look at those words. And in your heart, sing and make melody to the Lord, because there's a message there that's going to change your life, uh, and it's going to, to make your, um, your walk with the Lord a lot, a lot stronger, a lot closer. So um, at this time, I would actually like for us to close by singing through this hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. We've talked through it. Now, don't just look at the words and sing uh, haphazardly. Look at those words. Um, you may say, I already know the words. Too bad. Pull out the hymnal anyway. All right, look at the words, and I want you to think through each word that you are singing. And we're going to sing through, um, for time's sake, we're going to sing through the first, second, and last. Um, and I want you to think through these words with me, okay? But uh, let's go ahead and sing at this time.
Do you mean it? Does it mean something to you? Pastor.